From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for June the 8th. My name is Mary Danielson. I will be your host today. And I'm excited to be able to speak with creationist Russ Miller. Creationism is a critical apologetic for the church to understand because if the Genesis account of creation isn't true, neither is Revelation. And really, everything else in between is suspect and not to be trusted. So let's acknowledge the Lord first and foremost this morning. Oh, Lord, we just come to you today, uh, fresh and anew, asking uh, for your presence, for you to abide with us, walk with us, uh, speak to our hearts, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work in all of our lives. We pray for our, our uh, guests this morning, pray for Russ, for his ministry, his family, for everything that's involved in doing what he does to just uh, spread the gospel and and to, to to get people to really truly understand the foundations of our faith. So we lift him up to you to protect him and give him good health, Lord. And, and for all those listening, that, that again, that you would walk among us, Lord, and be teaching us and exhorting us and encouraging us in these dark, dark days. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you today. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, having a biblical worldview, um, the lens through which we interpret the world shapes every aspect of our lives. There are so many competing worldviews. Everyone has one, you know, but ours more than ever as believers needs to arise from the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I think about the Christian worldview, I always start with John 1, 1 to 5. And I just want to share this verse with you before we uh, introduce Russ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That pretty much says it all to me. You know, if we have the wrong worldview, the wrong beginnings, say we have a secular worldview, scientific, postmodern worldview, our interpretation of life and events will be skewed. So those three words at the start of the of Genesis in the beginning really do set the stage for everything. But here to help us do the heavy lifting for the foundations of a biblical worldview is Russ Miller. Russ is the head of Creation, Evolution, and Science Ministries, or CESM. He has shared thousands of church service messages, authored five creation-oriented books, written and illustrated two kids' coloring books, developed 16 PowerPoint seminars, a DVD series and study guide, heads up Grand Canyon Ram, Rim Raft and Grand Staircase Tours, hundreds of radio programs, led dozens of Grand Canyon creation-based river raft trips, and more. Russ has spoken on college campuses, at national conferences, and appeared on many worldwide Christian television programs. The website is creationministries.org. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Mary. How are you doing this today? I'm well. I hear you're out there in, in Arizona amongst the, the beautiful pines, and, and uh, what, I bet you have a beautiful day there. It's, it is a nice day. We're, uh, we live in northern Arizona. It's not what most people picture about Arizona, but I'm at about 6,900-foot elevation, wow. so it's a nice morning today. Yes, indeed, and I bet you don't have the smoke of those wildflowers, wildfires from Canada like we're struggling with. I know the East Coast is, is it looks almost apocalyptic over there from all these uh, 
uh, wildfires. It's just kind of crazy. I bet you don't have anything like that. Or do you? Because sometimes in the West you will have that sort of thing. Yeah, we don't have any at the moment, but we're getting into our forest fire season. Mm-hmm. So that'll, we kind of sit on pins and needles usually June, July, and, and August until the monsoons start. But right uh-huh. now we had a really big winter, uh, 12 feet of snow where I live. And uh, right now everything is extremely green. So, so we're good right now. Wow. We're really good. Wow. Wonderful. You know, I, I was listening to your opening prayer from, uh, the book of John and, you know, all things are made by the Word, and if we read a few verses later, we see that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word of God, our Creator, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's another huge reason it's, it's vital to believe in the Creator found in the Word of God. Yes, absolutely. Um, can you tell us a little bit of your story? You were raised in a Christian home, right? But you called yourself at one point a theistic evolutionist. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what is that? Well, uh, a theistic evolutionist is a uh, person, uh, a Christian, who has been fooled into accepting uh, Darwinian evolution millions of years of time and death before Adam. And, you know, we have a lot of those beliefs today. In fact, 90-plus percent of our seminaries and colleges now teach uh, theistic evolution, progressive creation, uh, uh, day-age theories, gap theories, etc. And they're all trying to fit the secular foundation of millions of years of time into God's Word, and uh, that's actually the main focus of what I teach, is showing people why God got it right and the secularists are wrong, and the global flood is a linchpin in the entire war of worldviews. Wow. Well, I received an email last week. Uh, from a listener who left a church locally here because the pastor was saying, oh, old earth, young earth, it doesn't really matter. Um, that's definitely made a comeback in the churches, and I would guess because of the, the seminaries and such. And, and this, this pastor was saying, and you can say this about anything, it's a secondary issue. Um, mm-hmm. and that's pretty subjective. Is it a, obviously you're going to say it's not a secondary issue, right? The old earth, young earth? Well, let's let, let me talk about that from two standpoints. First of all, and Jesus, uh, the one in the Bible, that is. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> I was going to make a point there. The only one found in the Bible said, you tell good from bad by the fruit. And he's just t- told us about uh, tares among the wheat and, even mm-hmm. worse, wolves dressed as sheep. They're going to look like sheep. They're going to sound like the best Christian you ever met in your life. And you tell the wolf from the sheep by the fruit. Now, the uh, the old earth beliefs today that, that are worshipped today, and they are worshipped. Think about this: they were only invented two hundred years ago. They're they're based on the belief there was never a global flood. I'll talk about that more in a few minutes, which is prophesied in Second Peter three that in the last days scoffers would claim uniform processes and deny the global flood. Secular geology today is based on two beliefs, uniform processes and no global flood, just like the Word of God said would happen in the last days. But the older beliefs invented 200 years ago are now the foundation. And remember, you tell good from bad by the fruit. They are the foundation for Darwinism, naturalism, humanism, modern atheism, modern agnosticism, and all the compromised positions inside the church trying to fit the millions of years of time into God's Word. So from the secular standpoint, the millions and billions of years is everything to them. It's their foundation. If if millions of years of time is 
is refuted, and it comes down to whether or not there was a global flood. I'll explain that in a moment. If that is refuted, it destroys Darwinism, naturalism, humanism, atheism, etc. Yes, the evolution, progressive creation, gap theories, they all are crushed if there was a global flood. Now, from a Christian standpoint, uh, why does it matter? Well, besides the things I just mentioned, the biblical worldview is based on the early chapters of the book of Genesis, specifically found in Genesis 1 and 3. And I call this the cost, COS and the cross. Uh, Mary, if someone asks you, how can we have a loving God in this world full of death and suffering? I would say 95% of Christians can't biblically answer that today. And the reason it's been lost is because of old earth beliefs. Mm -hmm. So let me explain that. Mm -hmm. Here's the biblical answer. How can there be a loving God in a world full of death and suffering? Well, the answer is God didn't give us the world the way it is today, full of death and suffering. God gave us a perfect, and this is the C in cost, perfect creation. Well, what in the world happened to it? It's full of death today. Well, that brings us to that O in cost, and that's original. It was Adam's first sin, Adam's original sin, that brought on the curse that allowed death and evil and suffering to enter. I should say death and suffering to enter, and that's that's the reason we live in a world today full of death and suffering but have a loving God. Now, that's the biblical answer, but it should go further. Uh, see, what that, that original sin separated us from God. That, that's the S in cost, separation. And that required us to be redeemed with God. Well, we've got a big problem there, Mary, because as you know, we're all sinful. We, you have to be perfect to be, your whole life to be redeemed with God. You have to be 100% righteous, and we're not. We're sinners. So how loving is God? Well, this is the cross, the, the T, the cross and cost. God is so loving that despite our sin that corrupted his creation and allowed death to enter, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on a cross. He shed blood covering our sin and redeeming us with him for eternity. And the only thing we're asked to do is to believe in him, to trust in him as Lord and Savior. And that starts by believing his word, word for word and cover to cover, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I, I know that, um, I love the acronym, by the way, that's a wonderful way to present the gospel. <clears throat> you know, as far as the global flood, excuse me, I had a little frog in my throat. You know, living in Wisconsin, when, when you go anywhere and they describe the terrain, whether it's a state park or or just a natural wonder, we all grew up with this. The reason Wisconsin looks like it does is because of the age of glaciers, massive glaciers, natural geographic features around here all have everything to do with that. We learned it in school. If you watch anything, even on public television about Wisconsin, you're going to get the glacier story. I want to ask you about the ice age thing, because Genesis 8.22 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Um, does a prolonged ice age disagree with Genesis 8.22? Well, yeah, it, well, it does, but there are some scientific issues with the secular misinterpretation of the uh, ice caps. Mm-hmm. You know, we all people ask me all the time, Mary, hey, Russ, what evidence do you have the Bible's true? I always say, well, I have the exact same evidence that atheists use to say it's not true. <laughs> so, I mean, think about it. We all live in the same world. We all have the exact same evidence. It's 
it's never been about who has the evidence. It's about who gets to interpret that evidence. So they interpret the ice caps as having formed over millions of years in various multiple, multiple ice ages. Well, there's a few big problems with that. Let Let me give you a biblical interpretation of the ice caps and the one and only ice age. And then we'll show, we'll discuss why that crushes the secular misinterpretation. At the start of the global flood, the fountains of the deep erupted. They erupted for 150 days, and then they abated, and the waters decreased for another 150 days. A lot of folks think the flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. The windows of heaven came down 40 days and 40 nights. But Noah and his family were on the ark 371 days. It was basically a year-long flood. Well, those fountains of the deep were erupting. These were super hot, scalding thermal waters, and they warmed up the seas. Now, the thermal waters could have been five to 600 degrees Fahrenheit, and they warmed up the oceans. It's it's estimated the flood waters averaged anywhere from 90 to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, you had some areas that might have been 40 degrees, and you had some areas that may have been 600 degrees. Mm. But on average, they were 90 to 120 is our best uh, estimates. And what this led to was massive evaporation. Well, during the flood, those clouds were raining down over the equator. When they went over the poles, they were pounding snow onto the poles mm. to form the one and only ice age. Now, at the end of the the flood, and Noah and his family and the animals got off of the ark, the ice caps. uh, Right now, we can see that the ice caps used to go down through Wisconsin all the way down to to, uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Well, they're 2,000 miles north of there today because after the flood ended and the water, the fountains of the deep stopped erupting, well, over time, the ocean slowly cooled back down. Hmm. It looks like probably 600 to 700 years after the after the global flood ended, the evaporation had uh, decreased enough to where the ice one and only ice age ended. Well, the uh, the ice age that time after the flood, several hundred years, was actually a very warm tropical climate because you had these oceans that were you know 100 or so degrees Fahrenheit. And a lot of water and rain around the globe. You ever wonder why the Egyptians built their huge cities in this desert doesn't have a blade of grass today? It was probably lush grasslands and forests at the time. Mm-hmm. But as the oceans uh, cooled, the animals had spread out around the globe. Even secular geology teaches the oceans used to be 400 feet lower than they are today until the ice masses melted. Well, the ice masses began melting five to 600 years after the flood. And this also has to do, this has to do with a lot of things like why we have not different races, but different looking people groups, all the human race, all made in the image of God. But we split out around the globe at the Tower of Babel. God forced us to spread out. And again, the oceans were about 400 feet lower. So you had continental shells and bridges and such, and people could spread out once the ice caps melted. They started melting back in the lower latitudes quickly filling in the oceans, and as the Bible says, in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. Divided by land masses, islands, continents, languages, and nations, and people marrying with the, in the captured gene pool and their geological or geographical location led to the different looking people groups we have today, not different races, 
And that's why we can do blood transfusions, kidney transplants, etc. from people all over the globe. We didn't evolve to different levels like Darwinists believe. We were all made in the image of God and we're one race, the human race. So the, actually the Ice Age has a lot to do, can, can explain a lot, and the global flood really is the key in that issue. Wow. That's the best, best definition I have heard yet. Cause like I said, in here, around here, we're subjected to that Ice Age thing that went on for, I don't know, you know, billions of years. The Ice Age itself went on and on. And, and so we look at our terrain, beautiful state, a lot of lakes, like Minnesota, this upper, you know, the Great White North, we call it. That's the best definition I've heard. And I'll never look at some of these um, PBS programs the same again, because that made a whole lot of sense for me. So I thank you for that. Um, well, well, think about think about this, Mary. The, the secular misinterpretation is the Ice Age happened in a cooling cycle of the Earth. But a cooling cycle would cool down the oceans and end evaporation. Hmm. So how did the ice get to the poles? Mm-hmm. Takes warm oceans and the global flood can only viably explain that to get the ice to the pole. Wow. Very interesting, Russ. My name is Mary Danielson. We're talking to Russ Miller of creationministries.org. And uh, Russ, you are a wealth of knowledge. I want to back up just a little bit because you mentioned the five pillars of old earth beliefs. Can you tell us what those are? Absolutely. Let me let me put a little groundwork in. Okay. And, and then I'll, I'll give you the five pillars. The global flood is the linchpin in the war of worldviews. Okay. Now, the secular side understands this well. And if, if I were to go on a college campus and start teaching about Darwinism, they get mad. There's nothing they can do because they have to give just one example of Darwinian evolution having taken place, and they can't do it. It never happened. As I like to play, say, uh, gene depletion plus selection makes it impossible. But if I start talking about the age of the Earth, I have to be surrounded by bodyguards. They understand the foundational issue. If they lose millions of years and a global flood wipes out millions of years, they lose everything. Now, in Second Peter 3, I mentioned this earlier, 3 through 6, uh, we're told, let me just paraphrase here quickly, we're told that in the last days, non-believers will claim uniform processes and deny the global flood. Well, secular geology for the past 150 years has been based on two beliefs, uniform processes and no global flood, mm-hmm. just like the Word of God says. Um, the reason that they have to deny the global flood is this. Uh, Let's go to those five pillars. The five pillars of old earth beliefs, the foundation of Darwinism, naturalism, humanism, atheism, theistic evolution, progressive creation, gap theories, and all the other non-biblical positions. If I just stepped on someone's toes, I'm doing it for a good reason. You need to realize you've accepted a non-biblical belief to fit in the foundations of secular, atheistic humanism. You might want to give that some thought. So here's the five pillars. Number one, the... The whole foundation for secular atheistic humanism and their older beliefs, their foundation, is there was never a global flood. They cannot allow a global flood. Well, why? Pillar number two. The older beliefs invented 200 years ago are based on the, the, the invention of the geologic column or geologic time scale. This is a drawing of 12 primary layers made about 200 years ago, and they assign names ages and index fossils to those uh to that column Mm -hmm. so the index fossils supposedly went extinct while the layer was forming so any layer found with uh, one of their index fossils and everything in the layer is given the age they assigned to the index fossil 200 years ago 
So a fair question is, where did they come up with the ages 200 years ago? Way before radiometric dating, way before modern geology. How did they come up with that? Well, based on the beliefs in uniform processes and no global flood, they estimated how long it took each layer to form, forming the geologic column or time scale. Hmm. Well, that leads us to pillar number three, the radiometric dating techniques. People think they're scientific in nature, but they're based on multiple wild guesses that corrupt the integrity of those ages. So they have to get a date that matches the geologic column or time scale. So the, the old earth beliefs really come from the geologic column or time scale, not from radiometric dating. And the geologic com- time scale is based on the belief there was never a global flood. So, let's go to pillar number four, dinosaurs, based on the strata they're found in, based on the geologic column, based on the belief there's never a global flood. (laughs) And number five, the Grand Canyon, based on the belief it formed slowly over millions of years of time, not quickly during a global flood. Mary, it always comes back to their belief there was not a global flood. Why? Because a global flood would explain how the Earth's crust, those stratified layers that make up the geologic column, the global flood explains how they form quickly, destroying every old Earth belief. Wow. Wow, yes, that is, um, the global flood is such a fascinating thing, and and People just want to reason in their own hearts instead of just believe what God says. And I want to, we have to take a break at, at 29, um, a two minute break, but I want to ask you, speaking of the Grand Canyon, um, you lead Grand, Grand Canyon and Rim and Raft tours. Um, what do they entail? Are there any coming up that people can contact you about to be part of, of an event like that? Well, we do, uh, we do actually, uh, about seven rim and raft trips every year. We do a week-long Grand Staircase tour. I should explain what the Grand Staircase is. It's the most awesome proof of the global flood anywhere in the world. And um, they people need to jump on board ahead of time. Right now, uh, our trips are pretty full. I think I've got a trip in two weeks that might have a couple of seats left. Um they could go to my website, creationministries.org, to find out. But basically, I'd start saying planning for uh, 2024. We'll have several. We haven't listed those yet, but we'll have several in uh, June, probably one in late May, and usually one or two later on in the year. A lot of I do most of my trips in uh, April, May, and June, and then I might do a couple uh, here and there uh, beside that, but those are really the ones for this year are pretty filled up. But I, my, my experience at Grand Canyon is I used to lead river raft trips through the canyon based on biblical creation. I've rafted the entire length of Grand Canyon 13 times, some oh. sections as many as 70 times. Uh, one year I spent 95 nights at Grand Canyon. That was about wow. 93 nights too many. Oh. <laughs> um, but I've been leading tours to the canyon for 20-plus years now. We take about a 1,000 people a year, and it's all based on showing people that God's Word is true, word for word and cover to cover. Well, and I know some people from this area who have gone and said they're just fantastic, and what they've learned is wonderful. i got a question for you. Do you, do you ever get, um, it's related to this, do you ever get um, unbelievers, people maybe pull, take some along on these trips that, that don't know the Lord and they come in a little skeptical and a little cynical, and do you see the lights go on when they are listening to you and looking around 
it, the beauty of of nature and creation. Do you do you get some unbelievers and they kind of come around by the time you're done? Oh, all the time, all the time. Wow. I could give you so many examples, but let me just give you give you one. We we had a, a on our, our rim and raft trip. We have a four hour raft trip, and, and one of the the uh, boat guides, the raft guide was a young man who every time I'd point something out, he'd interrupt me and give me the, give the secular misinterpretation. And I would say, Hey, I understand that's what they teach in secular geology, but look at this and this and this, and you'll see what they're teaching doesn't fit the evidence. And I give the biblical interpretation. Well, at the very end of the trip, he interrupted me. We were going through the Vermilion cliffs, which are 2000 feet tall and they've been removed, cut like a knife where we get off. Uh, when we get a chance, when we come back with, let me explain the grand staircase. But this young man interrupted me again, and I just challenged him to stop just regurgitating what they're telling him and think about if it makes any sense. Well, two weeks later, we had him on another trip, and this time he's interpreting the whole area through a biblical worldview. <laughs> and it turned out he had been raised in a Christian home, went off to college, lost his faith like 90% of Christian kids do. After thinking about what I'd shown him and what he'd seen that day, he returned. And, yeah, we, we, we see that all the time if people will just listen. The truth is on our side, but the other side owns the system. Yeah, yeah. That must be exciting for you to actually see the lights go on for someone who, like you said, has either you know just abandoned what they were raised with, or maybe they just um, never believed in the first place. That must be exciting for you. You know, it, I I really consider it is. I mean, it's it's encouraging. I consider that all God's God's fruit, not mine. But it is encouraging. If I have a minute, I'll give you a really spectacular yeah. one. Yeah, go ahead. We had a young man at the end of one of our trips. He, he was 18. He only graduated from a Christian high school two weeks before. And his parents had him go on this trip. Well, at the end of the trip, everyone on the trip said, wow, this is the best young Christian man we've ever seen. And at the end of the trip, at a final dinner, he stood up and he said, hey, I want everyone to know something. I was never going to go to church again in my life. I thought the Bible was a bunch of hooey. I went to a Christian school that taught evolution in millions of years. My church never said boo about any of it, and I was never going to go to church again. But now after going on this trip, I see God's word is true. I'm going to go back and, and challenge the school superintendent to stop teaching evolution in millions of years of death before Adam. And I'm going to go talk to my pastor and ask him why they never have someone like Russ come in and speak. And that is so typical, Mary. And if we would just get the truth out to people, we would win the battle. Mm -hmm. Like you said earlier, you know, many, in fact, 90% of our Christian colleges and seminaries are teaching the foundation of secular atheistic humanism, which is millions of years of time. And they all have one thing in common. They all deny the global flood. You ever hear it was a local flood? My friends, if you're listening and you bought into, well, it was a local flood, I hope you now know the reason they deny the flood is the flood destroys every old earth belief. Mm. Every old earth belief puts death before Adam. And once you accept death before Adam, you can't say Adam's sin brought in death, separated us from God, yeah. requiring our redemption through Jesus. Let's learn the truth and let's stand on the truth. I believe that's the name of the program. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and creationism is such an important apologetic. Like I said, you know, if, if that's not true, then nothing is true and we can't trust any of it. And we're actually wasting our time here. If Genesis is not true, what, why are we, you know, getting up in the morning or going to church or why are you doing what you do? And so it's, uh, 
I, I was raised, um, I was raised Catholic and, and I went to parochial school for 12 years and we had biology class and biology class was, you know, the, the chart with the monkeys, the little monkey leading up to the big monkey, uh, the ape and then the human. And we were raised, we were taught that uh, while in catechism we were taught creation. So it was very confusing for us kids. And I told my mother years later, I said, you know, in biology, they taught us evolution. And my mom just looked at me like, what in the world? I, and so we've been confused. We've been confusing our kids for a very, very long time. That is not what my mom wanted to hear, even in that environment. So I know, um, like I said, we're going to take a break shortly here. We just have a minute or so. But I kind of want to gear up for the next, next segment because uh, something near to your heart uh, that is making an impact on education, and we're talking public school, elementary, college level, uh, developing a Christian worldview in our kids and grandkids. Um, you have courses, um, and I'm going to try not, not to cut you off in a minute here, but um, you have some courses that that uh, you know young people can uh, access. Just can you give us just a bite for a minute here what that entails, and we can come back to it after the break. Yes, there's a, a Christian school that has a special uh, status where their courses are accepted by public Ooh. high school for uh, elective credits. And uh, for the first time in 60 years, we have a, a creation course that I built for the school that any public school kid can take, any high school kid can take in the U.S. and use it for elective credit wow. for their graduation. It's the first time in 60 years biblical creation has been inside the public schools. Wow. Wow. I guess that really surprises me. Um, that's wonderful. I know you have a, a page on your... Yeah, it's based on my book, Cost, yeah. Okay. Um, there's a, a page on your website, Creation Science and Biblical Worldview Courses, a game-changing call to action for Christians. Um, but let's public school students take accredited online biblical worldview courses that transfer to public high schools as elective credits. Wow, I guess that is really good news, and it it does surprise me uh, that that's even available. But um, so you you are the author of the course, correct? I am. Yeah. I built it for Northwest Christian School out of Phoenix, and okay. kids, they've got it online where anyone can take it. Um, I would suggest people that are interested contact Northwest Christian School out of Phoenix, Arizona, and get information about the, okay. the creation course from them. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're talking to Russ Miller, creationministries.org. My name is Mary Danielson, and we'll be back with a lot more in two minutes. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. We have Russ Miller with us today talking about creation, uh, the apologetic of it, um, public uh, classes for young people that they can take and get public school credit. That's on the his website. And he also has on his website um, Q&A. And there are some wonderful questions here. And I'm going to start with a strange one because I have never heard of this. And it's, don't the trees of life in science books prove Darwinian evolution happened? What are the trees of life, Russ? Well, most folks have, have seen them. Uh, you've got this drawing on a piece of paper. Usually at the base, they'll have the word something along the lines of uh, 
ancient ancestor and doesn't show who it is just the word ancient ancestor and then someone took a box of crayons and <laughs> drew nice colorful lines to everything on earth like people sponges worms baboons dogs whatever and that's supposed to show kids how everything evolved from a common ancestor well <laughs> while that fools millions and millions of kids on a weekly basis wow. the fact of the matter is what's the proof i mean if I took a box of crayons and drew a nice, colorful line from my computer to, uh, let's say, a person sitting out in front of me when I'm speaking somewhere, would that prove that the person evolved from my computer? You know, wow. basically, uh, there's no saying that goes like this, Mary. Darwinists are experts at drawing things that never existed to support their theory that never took place. So the trees of life are just a fairy tale, and drawing colorful lines connecting things doesn't prove anything. Wow. I don't think I have any sponges in my genetic line. I, I you know, wow, that's yeah. interesting. I've never heard of that. And I think you know they just keep adding things. You know, in the textbooks as as life goes on, they just keep adding stuff that makes no sense. Um, I, you also wanted to talk about real science, and you say real science is a believer's true friend. And the Bible does contain a a lot of real science and things that um, you know scientists so called may find fascinating that that um, God had put in the Bible before they even had any concept that these things were true. But tell us how real mm -hmm. science is a believer's true friend. It's one of the favorite things I like to point out. Most people <laughs> don't realize it today, Mary, because all the, the sacralists own the entire system and basically teach only their view. That's indoctrination, mm -hmm. not education. But most people don't realize it today, but 82% of the branches of modern science 82% were started by Christians in order to study God's creation. Mm -hmm. All the great scientists of old and most of your your huge uh, scientific laws were, were discovered and put into place by Christians. We thought, hey, there's an intelligent creator out there. He probably put some laws in place to govern his creation. And if we would study the creation, they call that nature today, we could make some of those discoveries and use those principles to improve our own lives. That's what led to the first and second laws of thermodynamics, the law of biogenesis, that life only comes from life, which is another big problem for Darwinists, by the way. And on and on it goes, but over 80% of the of the 200 or so branches of modern science started by, by Christians. There wouldn't even be science without Christianity. But, Mary, people have to understand, here's the, here's the key, have to understand the difference between what I call real science, operational science, and historic science. Operational science, real science, is knowledge derived from the study and testing of evidence. Mm -hmm. the, the, the evidence has to be there so you can repeat tests, and you repeat them over and over, you get the same results. Pretty soon you discover scientific principles that might even eventually become a scientific law because it always takes place. That's operational science, knowledge derived from the study of evidence, real science, a believer's best friend. Where, where people think there's... Um, some sort of controversy between what the Bible says and what they call science is not with historical science. I mean, excuse me, not with operational science. It's with what's called historical science. Hmm. Historical science, now remember, operational science is knowledge derived from the study of evidence. Historical science are assumptions made by taking things that you can test study today and applying those to events of the past that you did not see take place. So let's just take Grand Canyon as an example. 
you can look at this big hole in the ground today, and it's missing a little over 900 cubic miles of sediment. Well, you can measure the amount of sediment being taken out uh, through the canyon by the Colorado River today, and based on the belief in uniform processes, again, foretold in Second Peter 3, scoffers in the last days would claim uniform processes and deny the global flood. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. there. Based on the belief in uniform processes that it, it's always been the same, they assume, historical science, that today's operational rates, today's observable rates have always been the same, so they come up with it took millions of years for that river to carve out the canyon. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. A lot of the sediments being taken out by the Colorado River are being washed in from the sides. They're not coming out of the canyon. Whenever it rains there, the water turns brown because it gets washed in from the sides and taken out through the canyon. It's not coming necessarily from the canyon itself. Okay. So that's historical science. Operational science is our best friend. It's the bias, the assumption in uniformity that corrupts the biased interpretations masquerading as science through historical Mm -hmm. science. Mm -hmm. Historical science is where there's controversy between uh, what the Bible says and what's masquerading as science. I would would suggest people ask themselves if they're giving some supposed scientific information that goes against what the Bible says, ask yourself, is that based on on repeatable, studyable evidences, their their, uh, interpretation? Or is that based on assuming that current rates have always been the same? Anything that starts out millions of years ago, that's historical science, not operational science. Okay. And then it became ten, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and it became billions. It seems like every time you hear some claim from you know the secular media, it, it has gone up exponentially. They don't even care anymore if that it makes less sense than it did 10 years ago, right? Yeah, well, exactly, because they they keep getting refuted. Their evidences keep getting overturned. Their historical evidence, mm-hmm. you know, historical science. So they just keep adding time. Time's the magic ingredient. Time <laughs> is their is everything to them. Given enough time, the impossible somehow took place. And all they can do is throw more time at it. And right. remember, their time is all based on there never having been a global flood. The global flood destroys everything for the secular worldview. Wow, I didn't know the more time you have, the more you could, you know, abracadabra, you've got truth somewhere, and I don't understand that, but I love the answer you have in your uh, Q&A here. It says, uh, um, they've made accepting their findings findings an impossibility by ruling out the correct cause of our origins before they start their testing. For example, take a group of mathematicians who've ruled out the number two. No matter what, two cannot be considered a possible answer. Next, they set out to answer the question, um, the equation, one plus one equals what? Well, they've made it impossible to come to the correct conclusion unless they're willing to admit their initial assumption was wrong. I love that illustration. That really helps people understand that when you take that big eraser out uh, from the beginning and you say, well, we can't entertain A, B, C, and D, and so whatever we come up with, you have to believe. It, it's absurd on the face of it, Russ, right? If we're critical thinkers, we will see right through that, hopefully. Absolutely. I mean, they've, they've ruled out uh, biblical creation before they even began their studies, because this is their their belief is a religious belief. It's not science, so they've ruled out all the the true possibility, so they they can never come to the truth. I, mean, I think the Bible talks about um, 
the the rulers of the world and the kings of the world will take counsel against God and against his anointed one, Jesus, but God will be up in heaven laughing at them. He has them in derision. They cannot come to the right conclusion mm-hmm. because they refuse the true uh, conclusion, and God has hardened their hearts and covered their eyes mm-hmm. to where many of them can't t- accept the truth, even when it's right in their face. So God's God's in control. He's laughing at these guys that think they're going to overtake him. And uh, they might be attacking his believers and trying to undermine faith in the anointed one, our Lord and Savior Jesus. But God's in control, and he knows exactly what's going on and how it's all going to end. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of Romans 1. You know, they, they, they know, they know, God has made sure that they know that the very ground they walk on was made out of nothing. And all the beauty around them and everything they enjoy in life can only be from a creation. And God says, no, you didn't believe it and you weren't thankful, which I think very, is very interesting. You weren't thankful for it. Uh, and then he gives them over. I mean, it's it's a it's a downgrade of the worst kind. Romans one. So when you were talking, I was thinking about that. They know, they know, because God has told them. You know, Mary, I, I always uh, suggest to folks keep nineteen sixty three in mind. That was the year we officially kicked uh, prayer and biblical creation out of our schools, and officially began teaching our future generations they had evolved without God through millions of years of death and suffering. Mm. 60 years ago, right now, and read Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, keeping 1963 in mind. Mm. It will shock you. It will blow you away with the truth of God's Word and how He is in total control. He's given us exactly what He said He will give us if we turn our back on Him. Mm. Romans 1, 18 to 32. Only take two minutes for mm. someone to read that, but keep 63 in mind uh, when they do that. Mm. Um you know, I'd like to, to mention logic for a minute, for a moment. Um, logic, uh, Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity showed that the universe is a huge result and there was a beginning cause. Okay, so the, the, the universe is a result, something caused it. Well, logic holds that any result, like the universe, that had a beginning cause Well, whatever that cause was had to exist before the result. So the cause of the universe had to exist before the universe. Mm -hmm. In other words, the cause logically cannot be part of space, matter, and time. The cause had to exist outside of and before space, matter, and time. Well, of all ancient religious texts and all ancient writings, only the biblical God claimed to be eternal without a beginning cause and not be a part of the universe outside of space, matter, and time, making only the biblical God the only logical creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. So I guess a fair question then is, well, who who made God? <laughs> well, again, of all texts, only and all religious beliefs, only the biblical God claimed to be eternal without need of a beginning cause. Well, without a beginning cause, that puts only the biblical God outside of the laws of cause and effect. And that means the biblical God is the only logical creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, to me, all that says is, this is the start of time, because that's a reference to time. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't preclude that there's nothing before that. Sometimes I want to open my Bible and see if I can see something before that, but we we aren't given that. 
but from other New Testament verses, we know that he, you know, he is outside of time, and et cetera, et cetera. But in the beginning, that's just a time delineation as far as I'm concerned. There's a whole lot more before that. So that's... Yeah, you know... Go ahead. Yeah, you know, immediately in the Bible, the first five words of the Bible, God claims to be our creator. In the beginning, God created. Mm-hmm. So when we, we denounce... We, when we denounce him as creator, or we deny he's the creator he says he is, and replace him with one that fits with secular beliefs, mm. that, that's a dangerous place to be, mm-hmm. my friends. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me, my goal is to, I'm evangelizing people who, who are doubting God's word. You know, we're not saved because we think we're saved. We're saved by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Satan is an expert at what he does. He doesn't have to get us to, deny God's word, if he can get us to, you know, deny who Jesus is and replace him with a different one, it's my uh, ministry's position that that's a very dangerous place mm-hmm. to be. And let me show you why you can we can just believe in the Jesus found in Scripture. Right, right. And Satan, um, as far as the gap theory goes, this is a good chance for me to ask you about that, because right between the first two verses of the Bible, um, people are coming in and saying, well, um, there was a gap of time. And my understanding is the modern gap theory was proposed uh, in the early 19th century by a gentleman named Thomas Chalmers. He was a Scottish, quote unquote, theologian of the day. I don't know anything about him. Apparently, some geologists of his day argued that the earth was a lot older than Genesis implies. So, um, you know, that means they doubted the biblical record, in other words. But he proposed a gap theory to harmonize Genesis with these new articles. So here we go, you know, going backwards, no logic involved at all. Um, tell us a little bit what the gap theory is and why it is man-made and it cannot be true. Well, that's that's a great question because the gap theory was the first Christian attempt to fit the millions and billions of years of time that are the foundation for secular atheistic humanism into God's Word. We talked about the geologic column. It was really first started to be, to be put together about uh, 1800. The really, uh, and it didn't even start to become popular until the 1830s, really taking over science in the 1860s. But Chalmers came up with the gap theory somewhere around 1810 to 1812, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was trying to harmonize the millions of years uh, into God's word. Remember, the, the um, geologic column or time scale is based on the belief that the Earth's crust the stratified layers laid down by water, separated by grain size, weight, and density. So you have all shale together, all sandstone together, all budstone together, all limestone together. But just like a miner in his pan uh, gets some sediment and water and sloshes it back and forth, well, the water separates the, the, the sediments by grain size, weight, and density, gold being the densest, would fall to the bottom. Well, on the global scale, the, the Earth's crust uh, was eroded the top mile to two miles uh, of the Earth's original crust, and the water separated the sediments by grain size, weight, and density, laying down the stratified layers we have today very quickly. Now, the old Earth beliefs are based on denying the flood and saying those layers formed slowly and uniformly, as we're told in Second Peter 3, 3 through 6, they would do. So Chalmers comes along, and instead of pointing out how the global flood explains the stratified layers and wipes out the old Earth beliefs, he was one of the first to try to compromise and, and fit the millions of years into God's word and came up with the gap theory. Now, now, first of all, all old earth beliefs put death before Adam. 
And once you right. put death before Adam, you can't say Adam's sin brought in death, separating us from God. Remember, the message of the cross is Adam's sin corrupted a perfect creation, allowing death to enter. It wasn't millions. You know, you can't teach. Think about this. You can't teach millions of years of death brought man into the world, like the secular view holds, mm-hmm. and then turn around and teach man's sin brought death into the world. They're polar opposites. So the compromised positions like the gap theory say that there was a different creation, okay? I call it the non-biblical creation because it's not in the Bible. There is a different creation, and God sent Satan and his minions to it uh, when they rebelled, and they messed it up so bad that God destroyed it, and then, so that's the gap theory, there was the non-biblical creation, and God destroyed it because of Satan and his minions. And that's where you pick up with Genesis 1, verse 2, where God makes the biblical creation and makes it in six days. And at the end of the sixth day, he looks at his creation and calls it very good. Mm-hmm. So our good creator calls his creation very good and leaves it full of Satan and his minions that he just destroyed <laughs> the other creation because of? Uh, yes. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense no, whatsoever. No. But that's that's the gap theory. And gap theorists will get mad about that. But what they need to do is to think about it, drop their non-biblical beliefs, and uh, accept that there was a global flood and, and yeah. accept it. Well, and a Savior would have had to come twice and die twice because God wouldn't leave um, you know people in their sin um, if, even if you're building a doctrine between two verses of the Bible, I mean, there's so much wrong with it, and yet people in the church believe it. Um, I have I have a question as far as as far as uh, maybe maybe you'll have the answer for this, but this is, has to do with what we're talking about. Are there any old Earth apologists or teachers or prominent in the church that believers should avoid? Do you know of any that are um, that are oh, really gaining oh. traction? Well, oh, there, there's lots of them. Remember, over 90% of our seminaries and colleges teach old earth beliefs to put death before Adam. Their grads have filled the church. Mm. Uh, I'm under constant attack. Uh, very few churches will let me share any of this wow. information. I would say maybe 2% of churches. And uh, so this is a horrible situation, wow. but it's exactly what God told us to expect. I mean, uh, the church of Laodicea, look in Revelation 3, the Last day's church of Laodicea, mm-hmm. Jesus has his angel introduce him to that church as the creator. Well, Jesus is outside knocking, saying, hey, let me in. Mm-hmm. And so the, the angel's like, hey, your creator's here. You know, the one you've been denying, replacing with non-biblical versions? It's a very dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm not attacking any of those people. I used mm-hmm. to be a theistic evolutionist. And then I, God showed me the truth, and I realized I was totally fooled. I was denying Jesus as creator. I was denying Jesus as the judge he says he is. Then I was replacing him with one that fits with secular beliefs of millions and billions of years of death before Adam. I am not attacking any of those people. I'm here to help them. But hmm. yes, there are, there are, you will be popular if you don't talk about the age of the earth. You will be popular if you promote millions of years of time because that goes along with what our seminaries, the majority of our seminaries and Christian schools are teaching. But I, I have decided I will stand on the truth of God and his word. I will do everything I can to get this information out. Mary, I don't copyright my, my videos and DVDs. I have all my information on thumb drives. And people get those. I encourage them. Make a million copies. 
we uh, just recently now we've got all about 20 of my messages on downloadables on my website. I think they're like $4. You can download any of my teachings, like our top 10 Darwinian teachings in the textbooks that have just crushed Darwinism, and you can make a million copies. So I, I encourage people, get our information, make a million copies, get the information out there. It will have a huge impact on people. Mm-hmm. And so much, so many of our side have, have been uh, misled because of, and it always starts with old earth beliefs. Mm-hmm. Whenever someone's mad at me, and it does happen, believe it or not, because I'm going against what's being taught in the mainline uh, <laughs> Christian church today. Oh. But the, the the fact is, I'm standing on the truth of God and his word, and the real science is on the side of God and his word. It's not because I'm smart, it's because God's word's true. I'm just standing up for it. Yeah, well, consider God's challenge to the worldly wisdom from the book of Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Wow, there's an awful lot there, but God is basically saying, you know, we don't need the worldly wisdom. Um, professing themselves to be wise, all kinds of verses like that. Um, but thank you so much for that information about the gap theory. And these are red flags, right? When people are sitting in churches and they're hearing about um, some doctrine between two verses in Genesis, um, age, you know, old earth, that sort of thing, uh, right? I mean, people should be listening for these red flags and they should be knowing what the truth is. By, well, they should, yeah. and they should be asking their pastor, why can't we have a good creationist who yep. stands on the Word of God? Make sure it's one who will stand on, on up against the age of the earth, because there are creationists who don't even stand on, they won't talk about the age of the earth because it's not popular. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to decide, are we trying to be popular, or are we, are we trying to serve the God of the Bible? And the biggest attack is millions of years of time, and most people don't realize that. And it's all based on the belief there was never a global flood. Um, if we have time, I'd like to just mention the Grand Staircase real yeah, quickly. Yeah, please. Hey, most people have either been to Grand Canyon or they've seen pictures of Grand Canyon. Big hole in the ground. I mean, it's a mile deep, <laughs> 277 miles long, averages up to 18, well, it's up to 18 miles wide, but averages a mile deep. Now, most people don't realize it, but when you're standing on the edge of the canyon looking in the big hole in the ground, um, number one, it doesn't cut. The canyon doesn't cut a mile deep into the plain. There were two miles of rock layers removed from above today's rim, the Kaibab limestone. There were two miles of stratified layers above that that have been removed. The area uplifted, and the uh, waters cut through that upwarp. It's called the Kaibab upwarp, Kaibab uplift, or Kaibab plateau, all the same thing. And the water's cut through it. So you're on top of the uh, the rim looking into the canyon. You're on top of the upwarp looking down into the chasm cut through the upwarp. But at Grand Canyon, they won't even talk about the two miles that were removed from above the area for tens of thousands of square miles because there's no way to explain it but global flood. And a global flood wipes out every old earth belief. So they just don't even talk about it. But it cut a massive a water erosional event that could only have been on a global scale cut a series of cliffs that left behind what's called the Grand Staircase. Hmm. If you've ever been to or heard of Zion National yeah, Park yeah. or Bryce Canyon, 
Uh, if you go north to Bryce, let's start at Bryce at the top of the staircase. Uh, there's actually a Pontagant Plateau. It cut a thousand foot Pontagant Plateau, dropped 15 miles, and the waters cut the 2,500 foot tall pink cliffs where we find Bryce. Dropped about 40 miles south and cut the 2,500 foot cliffs we find at Zion. Dropped another 40 miles south, cut the 2,000 to 2,000 foot tall Vermilion cliffs. And I'm going to skip some of the smaller layers. And we have Drop less than we have less than a minute, Russ. So I I hate to cut you off on this, but we're getting really close. Okay, but the Grand Staircase is missing 150 times more sediments than what Grand Canyon is missing. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Zion, Bryce, and Grand Canyon, they won't even talk about the event that left them behind because. There's no way to explain it but a global flood, and a global flood wipes out every older belief. Russ, thank you so much. So much to think about, so much to learn. Go to creationministries.org, support CESM and the work Russ is doing. My name is Mary Danielson. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.